This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This is Andy Schieber from Healthcare News. Obamacare has had so many problems since it's been in effect uh, about now that it doesn't take an expert to ask, was this program designed to fail? I mean, why would politicians do that? With me today is Heartland Policy Advisor and Healthcare Economist Devin Herrick. Welcome back to the podcast, Devin. Well, thanks, Anne-Marie. Thanks for having me. So, you know, the Affordable Care Act is nearly 1,000 pages long. Um, Can you make a case that this program was designed to fail as massive as it is? And why would Congress and President Obama sign it at the time? Why would they do that? Well, you have to go back, you know, more than a dozen years during the debate. You had two schools of thought. You had, I mean, I'm I'm assuming they were, (laughs) they meant well. (laughs) You had some people, you know, I think Obama was probably one of them, who thought, I can, I can solve this age-old problem of people with pre-existing conditions. And then you had others um, in the, among the Democratic Party, including the progressives, who thought, well, why would you solve, want to solve it with, you know, stopgap gap measures when what we really need is a single-payer universal health coverage? So within the Democratic Party, you had these different, you know, fact factions arguing among themselves. And, of course, not all the Democrats who voted for it thought it would fail. Some naively thought it would work wonderfully. Others thought, you know, this, this is not going to work. And others wanted something far more, you know, progressive, let's say. So, so I don't think it was – I think most of those who voted for it probably – didn't expect it to fail, didn't hope it would fail, but there were definitely some who did expect it to fail and thought it would be a stepping stone on the way to universal coverage through a government program like Medicare for All. And I guess we can say it's it's failing. It hasn't lived up to its promises. It's not affordable and people aren't gravitating to it. Um, let's talk about some of the evidence we now have that Obamacare was maybe meant to fail. Uh, and maybe a good place to start would be expanded Medicaid. Now, they it, they pitch this as an expansion of the safety net, but but what has actually happened? Um, and do you think that the healthcare industry in the country has been harmed entirely by this expansion? Well, it, it probably depends on the sector. I mean, absolutely, some areas of the of our healthcare sector, I mean, I mean you'll, you can talk to hospitals, you can talk to doctors, Nobody is making a lot of money off Medicaid patients. They're stopping some of the losses for patients who otherwise maybe wouldn't pay anything or would be charity care write-offs. But for the most part, a lot of the big public you know, charity hospitals pushed for it because they wanted the patients they were already treating to at least pay something. Um, at the time, they were getting what's called Dish Pro, which is disproportionate share hospital funds, because they were treating a disproportionate share of, of the uninsured. Mm. Well, Obamacare was supposed to take care of that, but uh, of course, 
<laughs> they're still complaining that they need more money. So mm-hmm. apparently it, it didn't really take care of all that. I guess they didn't. I know they all lobbied for Obamacare. They were all on board with it. And I guess they didn't anticipate how many people would be on it <laughs> in 10 years. So I can imagine that this is um, not to what they were expecting. Let's talk a little bit about the exchanges. Now, this idea uh, was that people would never have to worry about not having the ability to buy insurance because of pre-existing conditions or age or health status. And, and we had naysayers early on saying this was going to be an actuarially, actuary nightmare, uh, impossible to pull off. But, you know, we still have the exchanges today. So can you say it, at least in that regard, it might be working? Well, I guess it depends on your definition of working. Um, I actually have an Obamacare policy, and it is, I forget now, something like eight or $9,000 deductible, and it has a cost of between seven and $8,000. Uh, so I have to spend, you know, seven to $8,000, and then another eight to nine before I get any benefit out of it. So, I mean, the only thing keeping me in that market is the fact that I'm of the age that, you know, something could happen. And so I'm, it's like, it's just, you know, and my biggest fear is not that I would get sick and not be able to afford to pay for it. It would be, I would be paying list prices that, as you know, can be just astronomical. Mm. I mean, three, four times, five times what, what an insurance company would pay or 10 times what Medicaid would pay. So from that standpoint, it's not really what proponents envisioned. It is not affordable, as you said, and neither is the care once you have Obamacare, the the care that you have to, you know, your cost sharing, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand dollars. That's just crazy. So that's not affordable either. But if you look at who is in Obamacare, well, the problem that the Biden administration had going in was that the middle class couldn't afford it. It was just so expensive that the only people who were enrolling were those getting generous subsidies. So after, you know, COVID and then, you know, the big monetary expansion that seemed to be part of and really and followed COVID. So now they are uh, subsidizing really the middle class. So, the only people that Obamacare is a halfway decent deal, and, by, and I'll say use the word affordable, mm-hmm. are those getting generous subsidies and those that are, are quite ill and going without coverage would be far more costly. But, for the, but what you need to have those people in the market, you need a lot of healthy people paying premiums. And healthy people just weren't willing simply because it was – it's such a, a bad value. Yeah. So yeah, we, we do have exchanges. They are theoretically working, but the the offerings in the exchange are really not what most people want. And so the alternatives to the exchanges are go get an employer employer health insurance. Uh, you could go on Medicaid and not work and qualify. You could get a short-term plan, or you could go into a health-sharing um, program, which is not really insurance. But you know, they're trying to get rid of the short-term plans or reduce them because I guess they've been pretty popular, and they're 
it seems like they're just doing this to drive more people into those exchanges uh, and maybe get more of those healthy people that you talked about to kind of make it work. I mean, the insurance companies are taken care of, right? The subsidies go right into their hands um, and there really isn't much competition, really. Um, and so it is very expensive and it's just like much of an option. Um, now, you wrote a blog on this and you make a really interesting point. Uh, because if all of this is working, uh, why in the world are so many states introducing or have introduced single-payer system? Uh, just recently, in my home state, <laughs> the state is looking at one of these, and um, people are kind of freaking out over it because it's going to be very radical. And um, this has been attempted and turned down. Vermont, you said, tried it and... California found out it was just going to be way prohibitively expensive. Colorado, um, you know, why would ha nearly half the country be moving to do some of these things after Obamacare? You know, like obviously they're admitting that you know Obamacare just isn't the, the be all and end all that it was promised to be. That's a really good point. Uh, there's a, I think it was. Um... Of course, you know, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and I think Washington Representative Jayapal have introduced the, I forget now what it's even called, Single Payer of Act of 2023. It, it was reintroduced in, I think it was May. And they have around, I forget now, I mean, over 100 co-signers, you know, are co-sponsors, I should say. So, that you know, that's close, you know, nearly a quarter of the members of Congress apparently think that Obamacare is not working because they have co-sponsored legislation yet again to bring in a, what they call Medicare for all. And, and really, I sometimes derisively call it Medicaid for all because <laughs> what, what seniors have would probably not be the same system because it would be unaffordable for the most part. But back to your question, you know, why do all these states? Well, they first off, they don't really understand how the healthcare system works. They don't really understand the financing, um, which is Obamacare should be proof of that. You know, where I'm paying, you know, seven thousand for nine thousand dollars worth deductible. Um, so I think that the problem is that states become lulled into thinking or the progressives within the state think we can do it better if only we had the power of government to create a monopoly technically it's called a monopsony you know monopoly is one seller monopsony is is one buyer if the state had held the power to set payments to be the you know if you're the only ball game in town people have to Take either what you leave the them. field or <laughs> yeah they either have to leave, you know leave the field or yeah. accept what you give them and so it, that is really the the secret sauce of the single payer health care proponents you know they don't i think obamacare didn't do it because you have all these insurance companies so that didn't work and 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 here's the the, the secret about all these state plans they're not really thought through because for it to really be a single-payer system, they have to go to the federal government and say, hey, could you give us all the money you're paying for, for Medicare in our state? Um, could you give us all the money you're paying for Medicaid in our state? 
And then they have to go to the employers and say, oh, you need to give us all the money that you and your workers are putting into the system for your high-quality coverage, and we will decide what they get back. And oftentimes what they have done, well, what I've seen mostly is a lot of these proposals call for a payroll tax of about 10%. Mm. And what they have found repeatedly is 10% is not enough, at least not for what they want to do. They want a Cadillac health plan, you know, at bargain basement prices. And like Vermont, it was just going to be costs more than double what they thought, as I recall. Uh, the proposal in Colorado was going to cost way more than the proponents advertised, and so the voters voted it down. And in California, it was—it seemed like it was quietly dropped when it was going to triple the state budget just for health care, or that was the health care budget would be triple the current budget. Yeah. I mean, I looked briefly at the Michigan plan, mm-hmm. and what stood out to me right off the bat was it was it made it had a one bullet point just talking about the transgender stuff that would all be included. We don't know what the long-term prognosis for those radical treatments are, uh, and we'd be stuck with the bill. And um, you know, even politically, uh, half the people don't want this stuff. They don't want to pay for all the so-called reproductive health measures, and uh, that would be in there. So I I don't know how they think they're going to get it through. I mean, Michigan, their situation right now is the Democrats have a very slight hold on power for about, who knows, maybe till the end of November. We don't know yet quite. But they're pushing a lot of stuff through, and this could be one of the things. So who knows? Um, We may be one of the first states in the kind of single-payer health. what about, you know, why do you suppose a large segment of the population gravitates to big government programs when something doesn't work out, like Obamacare or, you know, 10 years ago, it was just the private health insurance industry. People complained about it. Um, and why do you think they don't see that liberating markets like free market health care would do would probably benefit them more? Um, you know, we have we've we've seen it work in the retail sector with Amazon and Costco and all kinds of companies. The tech sector is the same, uh, but for some reason, people aren't making the same analogy with healthcare. And you know, you go out in the street. I bet you interview ten people, and I bet you find five to seven people say, "Yep, I would want Medicare for all." Uh, I think the government should pay for health care, and I think it could be perfect. Well, I, I think part of the problem with people and their view on health care is that they have no experience. I mean, the, you know, the experience that we have with our own health care tends to be you work for an employer that has a good health plan. And so, you know, people and, and Workers assume it's free. They don't, or they, or they assume that their contribution is really all healthcare costs. Well, it's not. You know, it's not free. Their wages are reduced long before they kick in their share of the contribution. So they have this idea that that someone else paying the bill is is ideal because they have. Well, for one thing, whenever they have tried to use free market principles, they run into a roadblock. They call their doctor, well, how much will this cost me, this procedure cost me? 
And the doctor says, well, what's your insurance plan? And they are, you know, not the doctor, the health, the, the, the business office. And they look up the, the health plan and, and they, they, um, they oftentimes can't really tell you. They have no idea what it's going to cost because it's, there's no package deals. What they do is, is they say, well, technically the surgery is this, but they have no idea, you know, what about the anesthesia? What about the band-aids? I mean, because of our convoluted healthcare system, healthcare providers have disaggregated all the services into, you know, a page two or three page long, um, you know, bunch of charges. Yeah, you know, and, and in our well, you know, in any other, any other market, they give you a bundled price because it's just too inefficient to say, okay, you're, I'm going to fix your car, so I'm going to charge for taking this bolt off and this new gasket and taking that hose off. Well, you know, it sounds ludicrous, but in healthcare, it's the norm simply because, it, you know, it's what they're doing is they are maximizing revenue against reimbursement formulas. Well, that's not a free market, of course. So I, I think people, whenever they try to, com- to compare prices, they run into a roadblock. And so they don't, they assume it would be the same if they had to, you know, if they had a real free market in healthcare, they, they can't look beyond the current system and realize that the reason they have problems is because of the third-party payment. But you raised another good point about the transgender care, and that is the architects of these proposals, they can't envision a market where maybe the government would insure you against catastrophic problems and people would compare prices for the small incidental things. So, and that that makes it unaffordable. If, If... you have first dollar coverage that pays for, you know, the aspirin their doctor prescribes, that pays for the office call to, to see your general practitioner. Those are going to be very, very expensive plans, whether they're Obamacare or Blue Cross or whether they're Medicare for all. And I think that is the trap that the proponents fall into. They can't envision the, the idea that, the only role for government would be those things that people themselves could never, you know, negotiate themselves, you know, yeah. like your heart attack treatment. But as far as going to my you know, general practitioner, I mean, the other day I, I discovered that a office up the road for me was, is, you know, it was built by a investor, but it's a, it's a physician's office or a medical office where doctors rent, you know, an exam room by the hour, mm. you know, you can work on the weekends. You can, and I thought it was a great idea. I thought, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to check into it to see if I can go, you know, one mile up the road for me and find doctors that take cash because it's a lot easier than trying to use my insurance that requires, you know, $9,000 deductible. Yeah. I mean, you, you said a lot of good things. I mean, the, the, the thing, I would argue that when you have a third party paying for stuff, you don't make good decisions because you don't have to take responsibilities. So when you go out and buy big ticket items, 
you're going to do your research. You're going to make sure it's the best thing for you. You're going to shop it out, make sure you get the best price. But when it comes to healthcare, um, people don't want to make decisions about what they should do to treat their illness. They'll just take whatever is told to them and say, yeah, because you know what? I'm not paying for it. And if it doesn't work out, I've got insurance. It's going to take care of all the problems that might result. So you have... You have that aspect of it, which of course drives up the cost uh, of all healthcare. Um, and then, you know, these um, single payer plans that are now coming down the board, they're including everything under the sun. And, um, you know, you could have, you're right, if, if it's done independently, you would be amazed at the ingenuity that providers would have in meeting the demand of humor. And doctors can do that. You know, I know John Goodman wrote recently about that. Why don't we let doctors figure out the market and do and serve their customers and their patients as they see right in front of them instead of trying to micromanage it on some larger level? I don't know. I I tell a story about, I guess it was was years and years ago. I was in graduate school at the time, and I had an issue that I needed to see my doctor. I called my doctor's office and the office manager said, Oh, I'm sorry. He's out of town. He's on vacation right now, but here's a number of a doctor who is doing, I don't know who's on call and taking his calls. And so I I called up that doctor and that doctor, well, that office said, "Um, we don't take appointments. We don't take insurance. It's cash. First come first served. And I'm thinking, what that I've never heard of that before. So I, I, it was something that I really needed to see a doctor for. So I, I went into the office. I found a waiting room. It was pretty small. There were 10 people, maybe not even 10 in there. It took me 10 minutes to see the doctor. I saw the doctor for probably a good 10 to 15 minutes. And I paid my bill. And it was like 35 bucks. <laughs> wow. And, you know, it worked for, you know, it, this system worked for him. It apparently worked for his patients on, on that particular day. It worked very well for me. And I, I think that his cash price was about the same as my insurance copay. So, you know, and that's just one example of, of, you know, you have doctors that are doing direct primary care. I mean, I know some doctors that are, you know, they specialize in one area. They're, you know, cash only. They don't take insurance for this particular. And, you know, and that, that's, that's your practice. Yeah. And I, it, it's, you know, and it, it sounds, well, to me, it's innovative. I guess other people might think, well, that's just strange. I mean, I can't use my insurance card. And I, <laughs> I literally went to a doctor one time that had a sign in the waiting room. We are not a Medicare provider. Um you cannot get reimbursed. And I, and I wasn't a Medicare patient, obviously, but it, this was, he was making sure even I had to sign that I recognized the fact he was not a Medicare provider simply because he wanted to give every person who walked in that door three or four different opportunities to know you aren't getting reimbursed through Medicare if you are over 65, because I don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And he could get, you know, it would, because, <laughs> And I think Keith Smith of the um, Surgery Center of Oklahoma, I heard him speak one time. And, and at that time, which is a few years ago, 
he said, if a Medicare patient comes in, we have to turn them around and send them back out because the bureaucracy of treating a Medicare patient, even for cash, is so difficult that we don't want to risk it. Yeah. Because there's, there are provisions that make it, you know, very difficult. Yeah, I, for the last five years, I've not carried traditional insurance. I, I use short-term plans. I have to renew them um, pretty frequently here. Um, and I use direct primary care, which is phenomenal, just phenomenal. And we and the practice has been so successful that they started another uh, surgical center that's cash pay, very transparent pricing. They've got a menu of items very similar to her. And, um, and they're being asked to expand. So people are getting it. And it's a totally different experience at your scale. But I'm hopeful. You know, we got some good bills out there besides <laughs> Medicare for all. There's the Pete Sessions bill and uh, Ted Cruz and um, Chip Roy introduced. I don't remember the name of it, but that would also open the door a little um, so all good stuff, Devin, I really appreciate we've, we've run out of time, but I always appreciate you coming on the podcast. You're, you're so knowledgeable about the healthcare insurance industry. You, know, you worked at a hospital for a long time in the accounting department and appreciate your thoughts on all this stuff that's been happening. So, um, you'll have to come back. Well, sure. Anytime. All right, Devin Herrick uh, actually wrote about the topic we talked about, and I will include a link uh, in the podcast notes about her possibly being designed to fail. <laughs> you can read all about it in the interesting comments that uh, as well. Um, thank you all for joining us here on the podcast and for tuning in. If you liked what you was, uh, keep uh, the work that we do on free market uh, policy solutions. This is Anne-Marie Schieber, and it's time with another topic in health care.